and welcome to another Top 10 Debate. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to talk about unbelievable wrestling fan theories. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AW Dynamite, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Max to talk about his article, which is available to read right now at whatculture.com. Ten unbelievable wrestling fan theories. And there's only one place to start with this, Michael Sidrick, considering you are a paid AEW shill. Tell me about the wrestling fan theory that everyone in the media is paid, has been co-opted by All Elite Wrestling. When did you first catch wind of this? Because it feels like it's been there from very early on to me. It feels like it's been there very early on. It's not helped this legit conspiracy theory, and I'll get into why it's legit momentarily, but as for the origins of the theory, it doesn't help that All In begat AEW. The independent scene begat All In. Um, and there was a perception among wrestling fans that Dave Meltzer favoured like PWG. And I know the New Japan Pro Wrestling is not independent pro wrestling. And that is true because they are owned by a corporation. So they can't possibly be independent. <laughs> but it's all sort of um, conflated among wrestling fans. These two wildly different companies in PWG and New Japan. But because they aren't WWE, which is the same thing, because it's so homogenized, the other promotions are the same thing. Oh, it's all flippy stuff and bollocks. And the idea is that Dave Meltzer um, prioritized and preferred and gave generous coverage to um, star ratings to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Five stars in the Tokyo Dome. If you did a Fiend versus, um, you know, if you did Randy Orton versus Alexa Bliss in the Tokyo Dome, I would have got five stars. <laughs> So that, all, all that bollocks came about when statistically, and this is robust, statistically, Dave Meltzer has given, on average, higher star ratings to NXT than any other wrestling promotion ever, right? Mm -hmm. Ever. There's a lot of New Japan second match comedy that he can't stand. Um, as for the All Japan shows of the 90s, I don't think he took to rating the undercards that much, but they weren't nowhere near as great as the main events, whereas on an NXT card, for example, you'll sometimes get an opener that's better than the main event. They don't do the traditional build to the peak yeah. finish. They'll do like 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 minute matches. Regardless, I'm rambling here. So there's always been this link between Meltzer and AEW because it was Dave Meltzer's not anytime soon tweet that, created the narrative around All In without actually making it happen outright because mm -hmm. something was in the works before this sort of romantic sort of story mm. around the show started. So Meltzer and AEW are inextricably linked, right? The idea that Dave Meltzer hates WWE has prevailed for the longest time. And I think the idea that AEW... So these are like things that build a conspiracy theory because what they do is they connect dots, these conspiracy theorists. One point might be wholly unrelated to the other, but because you can connect the two dots in some way, that's what conspiracy theorists tend to do. So another dot on this like little line that got linked is that AEW for their first events pre-pandemic caught at the media, said, mm. come along, come along. 
to the shows. We want to treat this as an emulation of a sport. And like any normal company on earth, we will allow press access. It's just WWE not doing it is weird. But mm. because they didn't do it and AEW did, wrestling fans conditioned to accept how WWE operates as the norm thought, in fact, the way that AEW does it is weird. So it's not the court in the press, are they? Well, if they want access, they're not going to negatively review Double or Nothing 2019 and expect to come back. Well, it just so happens Double or Nothing 2019 was outstanding. And that leads me to my next point. I've once tweeted, well, tweeted several anti-WWE sentiments because I just think the product is rubbish, generally. And I've tweeted some pro-AEW sentiments because I think largely, listen, my Miro takes, goddammit, before a month ago, I think largely the company is very good to excellent. WWE fans, because they love this thing, just can't get the idea that one thing can possibly be better than the other. And they don't like the idea that their thing is getting criticized. So they have to f- conjure a reason as to why it gets criticized. And that reason is, oh, well, they're getting paid to do it. I've legit had people in my mentions legitimately say, you know, I always thought this was a conspiracy, but the way that Sidra goes on, he must be getting paid. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not. One company has to be better than the other. Just, it has to be. Watch them, watch them. I've got no incentive to do this. If anything, I'd have stress-free Twitter experience mm-hmm. and I wouldn't get like quite insulting verbal abuse at times if I just wasn't honest. <laughs> if, I, like, if I emphasized that, which I liked about WWE, which a lot of content producers do incidentally to save themselves the goddamn abuse that some of you horrible people will give them, right? It's better to... The people who are pretending to be consistent, in my experience, are way more performative mm. and are way more like willing to get an agenda across just to save themselves the goddamn heat of being on that pool of a website of Twitter. Anyway, I digress. The other thing, before we move on to the next point, why I think it's so prevalent is that people don't get the idea, right, that it is impossible to be consistent even if you want it to be. And this is, again, it informs so much of the critique and so much of the discourse that people think, oh, well, they must be getting paid because if AEW did this, blah, 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 blah. For me personally, right, because I'm not a goldfish. <laughs> if I'm, if two things happen on the same show or two similar things happen on the same show, right, I'm bound to take one seriously and one not. Because WWE, for since the summer of punk, I would say, when they first realized, hang on, there's a new voice emerging in crowds and there's a new taste developing mm-hmm. outside of the way we do things, right? They've never really accepted or wholly embraced what fans audibly wanted. Summer of punk ruined Daniel Bryan. Oh, you like him? Well, we'll try and bury him. Turns out we can't because the, the defiance is so overwhelming that we can't possibly do this. But we'll do it next year when Daniel Bryan gets kicked out of the Rumble and Roman Reigns does it, WWE fans and critics have literally just been told to go for themselves by WWE for at least a decade at this point in terms of who they push versus who we want to get pushed. And they're useless at pushing at this point, who they want to push half the time as well. So what I'm getting at is that if AEW signed a new act and debuted them on Wednesday, I would say something like, oh, excited to see where he goes. 
because this company tends to push people well and tell intricate and, you know, well thought out long-term stories. If someone got pushed on Raw, I would say, right, he's dead. He's doomed. (laughs) And people might say, well, that's biased. You're saying two different things. It's like, yeah, because one company's got a track record of getting talent over and featuring them, or in the case of the Dark Order, persevering with that act and trying to refine it and make something of it. And as of last week's Raw, WWE couldn't even give the cliched three-week push to Mansoor. (laughs) Flattened on his first night. So because I will point something like that out, the big WWE stands who, like, try and circulate this conspiracy theory that we're all getting paid to be nice to AEW, they'll think, oh, well, you're looking at these two things differently. I was like, well, of course I am. <laughs> I, I am. Hands up. But genuinely, I've had people in my mentions, you see it under Alvarez's mentions, that they are paid shills, and it is just a ridiculous amount of copium because they can't reconcile the idea that the thing that they like and the thing that in large part defines them happens to be not only rubbish but like antagonistic in terms of how much it just treats its audience with disdain. Yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I mean, I've, I personally have been accused of being a shill for both, which is always good. Always nice to have two extra revenue in, in, income. So does Miller. I can't believe this. Uh, every now and then, Simon Miller, and he'll laugh it off and I'll get pissed off. Very different people, but we actually get along. Miller will laugh it off on Twitter and say, I can't believe I'm being accused in the same week of being an AEW and a WWE shill. It's like Simon Miller, his whole deal, and it's authentic. He's one of the few people who does this kind of thing that I actually believe in because I've talked to him. He's such a nice, radiant guy. But he genuinely will see the good in everything. Mm. Even if I think personally, what are you talking about, Miller? That's rubbish. (laughs) Bury it, please. But he won't. It's just not who he is. And he gets accused of it as well. Mm. You get accused of it, genuinely. Occasionally, like, well, I told you I tweeted about Raw the other week and someone said, oh, why do you even bother watching it? Kind of important for what I do, to be perfectly honest. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, less so. I think, do you know what the thing is? I think it's it's WWE regardless. So if I, because I'll tweet stuff about, I just, tw- you know, I'm not as analytical as you and, and Hamlet. So I try to, you know, stay in my lane and just do sort of silly bollocks on Twitter, right? But if someone pisses me off, or if something's funny, like, and I love him, I don't want to have a go at him. Drew Gulak getting a rose kicked up his ass. I'll go, this is what's happening on Monday Night Raw if, you, if you're not miss it, you're not watching it. It's someone getting a rose kicked up their ass. And they'll go, oh, <laughs> you're an AW show. You just say everything in WWE's bag. You know, you, you, you. And then I'll turn around and say, you know what? It's not necessarily for everyone. And I know you're 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 not as hot on it as, as I am, and Hamlet's not on hot as on it. But I was like, I think NXT's really turned a corner. I think they've got a lot better than what they were essentially when they were facing AEW on uh, on Wednesday nights. And then, and I think the product's vastly improved. <laughs> All right, when's that WWE check coming in the pay- mail? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> and if I was getting paid by AEW, you know the whole oh bring the broken willborn character back i only bring that out when it genuinely genuinely breaks me like that oozy hot episode of raw where it was just wall to wall or like helena cell or whatever if i was getting paid i'd roll that bad boy out every single tuesday like oh he's broken again and there he is on the raw review and on the and on the news and on anything we have to produce it's just preposterous and like you say just because you've been subjected to 
not objective takes, let's say, when it comes to certain areas of WWE programming, you have to think that everyone, you know, across the board, Sean Ross Sapp, yourself, uh, Alvarez, whoever, you know, Meltzer, obviously, whoever it may be, if they say, I think this is good from AEW, or even if they're just willing something to be good because they like to have something better in the industry than WWE. And, you know, it wasn't like you sat there and went, you know what? I think they actually uh, they got everyone going with that end of uh, revolution, that big explosion. I think uh, that was a pretty big win for TK. Like, <laughs> that's all you need to do is look at your, re- your, your, your reaction or anyone's reaction to the, the botched end of revolution or the 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 divisive nature of the inclusion of bloody blood and guts last week or whatever it may be or like you say Miro or the women's division you never sat there and went actually the women's division's great in AEW and I think if you say if you say otherwise you're an idiot you said yeah it's not great but here's the way to improve it blah 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 you know there's still time this is still very new and they they only had a limited number of women and they lost some of them because of the pandemic like Rio you can't have her back and blah blah I just, it's just, it's exhausting because as with any conspiracy theory, it's that you can never say something or present some evidence and people will go, oh, fair enough. Yeah, no, that's, that's, no, I agree. Now I see where you're coming from. Sorry, I've got it wrong. And uh, sort of related to that, from one wrestling war to another, Michael Sidgwick, let's talk about Vince Russo being a double agent. (laughs) (laughs) I love this, man. I love this so much. Tell us about the conspiracy theory to the listeners and then I will tell you why it's bollocks. So, yes, uh, obviously, WWF or Vince Russo rose up in WWF, the Attitude Era, the classic story about Vince and the WWF magazine and what have you, and him inventing the Stone Cold Steve Austin or whatever he wants to lay claim to. And then, obviously, as with many things that happened during the, the war between the two companies, a big star or a big perceived star or a big perceived element of what made WWF successful, Vince Russo, was offered a, offered a massive contract by WCW and he and Ed Ferrara left and they and WCW, you know, didn't realise, or they did quite quickly realise they'd been sold a bill of goods, they'd been sold, you know, down the river by this guy. And it actually, oh, no, he needs the... the what can I be described as the Vince McMahon conduit to, to present, pick out what was the good ideas and not just throw a load of sh- at a wall and see what sticks. The conspiracy theory is what actually happened is they sent, WWF sent Russo into WCW to kill it from the inside, to, in Vince McMahon's own words, inject it with a yeah. little dose of poison. Very different scenario than what I'm alluding to there. But, I mean, you know my opinions on Vince Russo. I don't think he's quite good enough to play a double agent. I'll, I'll just, I'll just say, I don't think he's getting double O status. I'll just put it right out there. There you go. I mean, just that inject line. It's one of the best things Vincent Mann's ever done, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to inject. <laughs> I mean, my mate to this day, whenever we see each other, we'll always parrot that line at one another because it's just so funny. But here's the one thing before the other things that make this conspiracy theory a complete load of bollocks. There was literally no need to kill WCW. No. Like, like literally, is the very first Nitro of 1999. It was like, oh, this is dead. And then <laughs> after they'd already killed Sting, the ratings were tumbling down. 1999 WCW, like, is as bad as Russo's. Really, it is. It's not as like, maybe it isn't. 
it's in they're both inept in incredibly different ways. Um, but it was dead. There was there was no need to do this if in fact it happened and it didn't. There was no need to do this. The the weeks before Vince Russo took the job, WWF were like doubling them in the reins, like mm. more than doubling them, hence why they needed a huge change, hence why they signed Russo. There was no sense of all right, okay, well, they're still competitive, so we could do without that. Let's send Vince Russo down. There was no point. There was literally no point, which is what's so funny about the fact that it's kind of prevalent. The other funny reason of why this is prevalent is because what does it say of Vince Russo and how bad he is? That he was literally so bad that they realized he was bad and sent him to kill a company. Whatever angle you look at this conspiracy theory from, it's just so hilarious and flimsy. The only good thing about it is that it's only halfway plausible because Vince Russo is so bad at his job that someone along the chain realized, yep, he's so bad that we can kill him, that we can kill create, we can kill WCW with his absolutely wretched creative. It's just piss funny that it's just premised on the idea of Vince Russo being an idiot. And so many people believe him to be an idiot that you still read about this crazy conspiracy theory. But here's the thing. If Vince McMahon said, this idiot that gives me some good ideas and some rubbish ones, if I send him to WCW and there's no me to give him the rubbish ones, then he'll kill them. He will kill WCW. He was literally writing the shows that week when he decided to take the job. Like, he couldn't have thought of them as this like, Inspector Clouseau figure. <laughs> right? If he was literally accepting scripts from the man the very week that he decided to do it, it's just, it's funny. It's an indictment of how much of an imbecile Vince Russo is, but it's to quote that guy, we made it up. It's pure fiction. Not this time. Not this time. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I just, like you say, if he is such an integral part of WWF at the time, like you say, and he's so crucial to them winning this war, they wouldn't let him go. They wouldn't be like, well, we'll send you as an agent. You'd say anyone else, anyone, anyone we've got in the backstage area, leak something that he's actually pulling the strings and we'll send this dunce in because we don't need them. The fact that if, if they've let him go, even as a double agent, they've gone, well, we can keep things going at this end. We do not need you on, on Raw anymore, Vince. We're going to use you. We've got, I've got bigger plans for you. Turn it in. Absolutely. What a load of bollocks. <laughs> Just funny, isn't it? What an idiot. What an idiot he must have been for this to have uh, prevailed over the years. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal 
finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. I'm going to try and keep this one relatively brief because it's a theory that we've heard over and over and over again. I don't want to talk about it. And I've got a history of accusing things of being a work when they're not. But, I mean, Montreal Screwjob wasn't a work, was it? Just, just, no. just let's just say that's outright. No. Right. It's just, I'm glad you've segued into this one following the Vince Russo one, because this one, we are now equipped with the knowledge of how everything turned out. Yeah. And to be fair, Vince McMahon has said one of the reasons why I was happy enough to let Bret Hart go is I knew, I just knew that WCW would not know how to promote the wrestler like him. I just knew they wouldn't. So it didn't feel like if I was losing something, it didn't feel like they were gaining anything. Yeah. But no one knew that at the time. Bret Hart left for WCW before Starcade 97. Like he was at Starcade 97. Mm, yeah. It's a special guest referee, which is ridiculous. But here's the thing unlike the Vince Russo conspiracy theory, right? Where there's no actual cause for this to happen. I mean, it's much, it's the same as true of Montreal. There's no viable reason for this to happen because the idea was, right, okay, well, didn't everything work out a little bit too well? Vince McMahon used the notoriety to get the Mr. McMahon television on, the Mr. McMahon character on TV, mm-hmm, which, yeah. by the way, had been sort of germinated, that character, through the fact that Austin was feuding with him because he couldn't do anything else in the ring after um, the neck injury he suffered at SummerSlam. So Mr. McMahon formally established this Mr. McMahon character we've been kind of working on in the background, used the notoriety to get it over. He got that over with the idea of Steve Austin would get over. Um, Shawn Michaels was playing a degenerate who didn't treat wrestling seriously and in fact made a mockery of it in a European title match in December after Montreal. Again, using the notoriety of the screw job to sort of get this character over. Meanwhile, you've got Shawn Michaels, he didn't know he was going to get knackered in a casket. It's going to be a top heel. And Steve Austin was going to be the baby face. And he had two antagonists, and Michael and, and McMahon, to work with. And, uh, you know, WF was heading towards its attitude era and all of this sort of incited it. And at the same time, Bret Hart, who did disagree with the creative direction, who was part of the toxic backstage atmosphere and the political, you get rid of him. But at the same time, you say to Bret, look, you don't feel like you belong here anymore. Shawn Michaels and you do not get along. Why don't we send you on purpose, deliberately, to WCW? You can make a packet in the twilight years of your career. It all works out for you. This is why people think it's everything theoretically would have turned out for the best for all parties. And isn't that suspicious? Isn't it also suspicious that they kept the camera lingering on Bret Hart and they nailed the sp- saliva shot it's all about jfk isn't it um preposterous an absolutely preposterous conspiracy theory the likes of which kevin nash and scott hall on the shoot interview circuit will say 
Yeah, all worked out nicely for anyone, didn't it? it? Was all filmed a bit nicely, wasn't it? Work. No. WCW hadn't yet become comically inept. In fact, <laughs> WCW was like a month away, a yeah. month away from resolving one of the hottest storylines of the 90s, a month away from drawing its biggest ever buy rate. They were absolutely on fire. They were in a scenario that everyone thought was simply going to happen until the day itself at Starcade. We're about to strap up the baby face they'd been building for about 18 friggin' months. Like, why would you send Bret Hart, the hottest, one of the hottest heels in the entire game, certainly the best wrestler at that time, to the competition? Yeah. Thinking it, it's all over complete bollocks. There's obviously an absolute spiderweb of exhausted narrative now about how much Michaels and Hart didn't get along and all the rest of it. It's just a total load of utter bollocks. It was not a work. And if it is, as I've said in the article, Bret Hart's the best method actor this side of Daniel Day-Lewis because he certainly has kept up the facade in recent years. I love Bret Hart. I'm sorry, I'll give you a chance to speak in a second. I love Bret Hart. He taught me basically the language of pro wrestling. He made me think, oh, there's something to this that has actually got worth and substance beyond the fad. He made me fall in love with wrestling when I was first beckoned in by Vince McMahon's image of sports entertainment. For better or worse, Bret Hart changed my life forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that man and yet I've come so close to resenting him for how much he will not shut the fuck up about Montreal <laughs> so it's not working if it is he's the best worker who's ever worked um, yeah all I was going to say is my theory with, with this one in particular is the same with all the really big conspiracy theories in the world which is if it's this Game changing. Is this earth shattering? I'm bad at keeping secrets. I'll hold. I'm, I'll hold my hands up. Right. I'll say. Oh, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I can tell you. Or you didn't hear this from me, but I, but this blah blah blah. You telling me that's not going to come out a bit? Like how? How? In something so big, you know, moon landings, for example. You think maybe some more people would probably be like, oh yeah, I've got this this evidence here, or I was a part of this, like. Yes, the odd person, like you say, may well allude to it for a bit of extra coverage in a shoot interview or whatever. And I'm not saying whoever that may be. Oh, they love it, man. Yeah, I was the one who I was the one who drew it all up and then did this. And this is what apart from Bruce, obviously, but like that you'd think more people would be there. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, they had the, the they had so and so there waiting and and uh, you know. It's just it's just preposterous. So we'll move on rapidly. And I'm going to do the opposite of what I think you're going to tell me you should do as a parent. You're meant to say, eat your vegetables and then you can have your dessert, right? Well, I'm going to give you your dessert first, but only on the condition that you do, your, do eat your vegetables after this, okay? I'm not making any promises. Okay. Let's talk about Japanese wrestling crowds because I know this is oh my god! Your heart. Oh, my God. Tell them the theory. The theory is... Quiet over in Japan, isn't it? Japanese wrestling crowds don't know how to uh, react to anything. It's not an incompletely different cultural way of receiving the uh, the art. It's uh, it's just them not having very loud voices. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. They do. They do. If you listen to the last five to ten minutes of like a long, intricately built Japanese wrestling match, Japanese wrestling fans are 
way louder than American fans. Like, way louder. I've heard the famous Austin pop, right? It's probably the, all the CM Punk 2011. Those, at the top of my head, are the two loudest, like, North American modern wrestling reactions anyway. And they're goddamn loud. They're not Japanese wrestling fan loud. Like, honestly, if you sit down, if you not watch, like, some of the greatest pure matches of all time, I suggest you do, like, Kabashi, Misawa, Misawa, Kawada. There's a lot. There's a lot. Mm. The last five to ten minutes of those matches, right, fans are, like, they're roaring. They're not popping. They're not going, this is awesome, really loudly. They're not cheering. They are roaring at the, the fire of the baby face. They're like, they are literally roaring at this guy. When someone, that same baby face gets dropped on their head, they are like shrieking, mm. like gasping at the plight and the danger that the predicament of the baby face. When he comes back, they are roaring their heads off. When all of this happens rapidly, it's like this unbelievably deafening cacophony of noise and emotion. And sometimes it doesn't take to the last five to 10 minutes. Often it does with the way that Japanese wrestling matches tend to get built in the majors, which I'll get to in, imminently. There's a match, Furnace and Lafon versus Kabashi and Kikuchi from 1992, All Japan. Go and watch it. If I remember, I will post the link under this. I've seen football derbies, a real sport with real communities, desperate to get one over on the guys up the road. Mm. That aren't as loud as that. <laughs> right. Japanese wrestling fans are louder. They're not just not quiet. They are louder than American crowds. The reason why you will still get this. Sometimes it's like quite naive apprehension from like, I'll get people saying, oh, you know, the, the, I just hear the crowds are quiet. No, no. What's happened is that the structure of a Japanese pro wrestling match, like a traditional main event, 30 to 40 minutes in Japan, what happens is they start slowly. Yes. Right? The, the opening shine of the baby face and stuff like that doesn't happen. They're very tentative exchanges. The idea being that that person could drop me in my head and really hurt me if I'm not careful. That person is a champion and he's skilled. I have to start slowly. Otherwise, I'm just going to endure the risk of getting dropped on my head or whatever. And it's not just about strategy and stuff it's all about building the crowd what they want to do is we've all seen a lot of graphs over this year of waves and they are horrific to look at and i don't want to remind you of those but the act is a nice visual thing on an audio medium it goes up and up and up mm -hmm. right the intensity the speed the frequency in which moves are exchanged everything goes up and up and up and up and up and up and up and, up and away and the idea is they are crafted for that reason because mm -hmm. the crowd wants to get taken on a journey because it's great psychology and the crowd volume rises in parallel with the drama. With the idea being the last five to 10 minutes are insane, mm. molten, deafening, like incendiary noise. The reason why, in my opinion, that the take prevails that other quiet is because some dickhead Westerner, enough of them to regurgitate this bollocks on message boards throughout the years. And this is how these things take root. Some pig ignorant bastard Westerner has sat down. Hey, 
Let's check out this Japanese stuff. I hear it's pretty cool. And then they two minutes ago, shit. <laughs> I wish I'm bored of this. Let's do something. And then because I've got such tiny little minds and attention spans, they go click off. They saunter over to a message board where someone's going, I oh, should watch this Japanese wrestling match. Or what does everyone think about Misawa? Boring. <laughs> Stupid crowds are too quiet. Well, you've only watched two minutes of it, you impatient dickhead. I'm conv- it's the only possible explanation. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't have the take, but I'd certainly heard it, and I hadn't hold my hands up before I started working at What Culture. I really hadn't dipped my toe that much in New Japan. It was a really eye-opening experience, and I remember watching one of the Wrestle Kingdoms for the, one of the first times, or maybe it might have been doing the research ahead of, because I need to see what the history of Wrestle Kingdom is before we did it on a live stream or something. And yeah, you go in, you go, oh, this is quieter than usual for the opening bell. But like you say, if you stick with it, you don't have to stick with it for 30 minutes, stick with it for 10 minutes and go, oh, okay, decibel. You literally just sit there with a decibel counter and go, well, that's got louder. And it's yeah, like, yeah. it's a different way of receiving it. You know, we have, like, to use a sports comparison, like in, English football games, right? There's a real, you know, like you say, proper derby. There's baying chants and taunts and celebrations and it's the roost coming off. And then you go to the World Cup in South Africa and there's just Vuvuzela noise throughout the entire thing. Or you go to uh, Italy and when the opposition have the ball, they're whistling or what. Like, it's just a different way of consuming the product. You can't just say, well, it's not the way that I do it, so it's wrong. Like, it's madness. It's madness. madness and it's just pure impatience. Because if they just waited, as he said, even 10 minutes, you'll realize what the guys are doing in the ring, why they do it. It's because they want the last five minutes of their matches to be the loudest of, like, anywhere, rather than just do a 20-minute match where it's all quite fast and you get the same reaction throughout, maybe it peaks at the finish. They want the last phase of the match to be like an earth-shattering yeah. volume. Now, finally, to conclude here, Michael Zidrick, I know how much you love Japanese wrestling, and I allowed you to talk about that, okay? And I realise that I maybe shouldn't do this to you late on a Monday, especially what we've got, we've got coming tomorrow. But I let you do the Japanese stuff, so now you've got to give this back to me, because if I put this on the Twitter thing, right, I guarantee we're going to get more clicks. Michael Sidgwick, the hospital pass of the year goes to you, Tell me about the law of the fiend. <laughs> there is no such thing. Here's the thing. I think Bray Wyatt wants that to be a thing. And I think genuinely there have been attempts to either retroactively make sense of the law or I genuinely think on Bray Wyatt's part. I don't think he's this big genius. It's so funny how Dave Meltzer says, oh, he's a genius and gives every match he has minus however many stars. <laughs> And every angle, that's rubbish. This, I think it's very creative, though. I think Bray Wyatt wants that to be this big arc, which is really consistent and shared university. I just the idea, as everyone knows, is that the fiend changes people, yeah. And they've said it over and over again on WWE TV that if you interact with the fiend, it changes you. It has. It certainly changed Lexa Bliss. She's become non-spade. So I mean, I, I, I don't think the character development's particularly good, but that's essentially what it is. People said it changed Seth Rollins. He turned heel. 
and he became this sort of pariah figure after he interacted with the fiend. Um, Daniel Bryan got a haircut. Great. <laughs> See, Brutus the Barber Wyatt. Um, who else did he change? Braun Strowman changed. Mm, became, say. He wasn't the monster among men. He was the monster within man. Did Goldberg change? Seemed like it was all right for me. <laughs> Seemed like it was the exact same guy. But Goldberg changed into this uh, guy who could work 40-minute matches. No, didn't change the Fiend at all. Oh, he defeated the Fiend. Cool. So you have to get defeated by the Fiend to be changed by him. Finn Balor got like better and more interesting. <laughs> He's still, you know, it's just, it's a load of rubbish. I remember Strowman, when they were first building the Fiend, and he did these... Like attacks, and you just attack someone like Jerry Lawler, and then Strowman did an angle. Strowman was dancing on SmackDown two months later. <laughs> so the Fiend's like a nice guy; just wants people to have fun. You go have, I'll change it. Cheer up a bit. You go and have the dance. It's pathetic, and I get it. They have done, but like Seth Rollins, if they thought. After the Fiend stuff, oh, people are really still with him. Do you think they would have changed him? Mm. Or do you think, I don't know, can still make some money off him? So he'd just be a baby face and another feud. He only turned heel because it was absolutely, he was, he was not that over in the summer. Mm-hmm. If you look at his quarter hours, less people than the usual average WWE fan would like watching Seth Rollins in 2019. Yeah. He was. His name was kind of poison among the wrestling fan because he had so many meltdowns on Twitter. And honestly, given what's happened to that website, I've taken a nicer view to Seth Rollins because I couldn't understand where he's coming from. Um, but regardless, at the time, people thought, oh, Christ, he's an idiot. He's deluded and he's lame. He's crying in the ring because the Fiend is on the, is on the ropes next to him. So he had to turn heel. It wasn't because the Fiend changed him and WWE books months and months and months in advance. Yeah, and what's Sister Abigail? Please, someone tell me coherently what Sister Abigail is. It's a dead woman in the woods, a ghost that has guided Bray Wyatt's career. Then it turned into someone, Randy Orton, and Randy Orton killed her twice or desecrated the corpse <laughs> or whatever. And then it turned out before in 2017 that Bray Wyatt was Sister Abigail over long because he was in Dragon Adelisp. And then Sister Abigail was a puppet. And then Sister Abigail was, in fact, according to the latest bit of law at Extreme Rules, the horror show, 2020, Sister Abigail was the manifestation of one's innermost desires and how that manifestation can lead you astray. And Braun Strowman's innermost desires and FBI, keep an eye, because apparently they're Alexa Bliss. And that was Sister Abigail as a manifestation of one's desires. So hang on. Does Bray Wyatt therefore want to fuck himself? Because if Sister Abigail is the manifestation of one's desires, which I read on Reddit, of course, in 2020, then Bray Wyatt dressed up as Sister Abigail. Mm -hmm. So does Bray Wyatt just look at himself in the mirror when he has a wank? (laughs) Oh, I mean, I'm tempted to end the podcast now. I do want to talk slightly longer, but that was such a spectacular conclusion to come to. Like, the thing is, I am more than well-versed in 
attempting to salvage something that you've claimed is good or correct. Look what happened with me, John Moxley, in AEW. Let's just say that, okay? Oh, right? Oh. But, and I was like, oh, no, actually, so you're going to play the long game. Like, give it time, give it time. I don't know how any WWE fan, after, I mean, you can pick anything here, but especially the Summer of Punk. I remember the Summer of Punk going, give it time, lads. They're, go, they're going somewhere with this, trust me. They are, sorry? You get the Miz and R-Truth of, what's happening? Like, it was just, it, how you can then go, now nah, this has been storyboarded out. It hasn't. The only comparison I can make, and please don't jump down my throat here because I'm not comparing the fiend to who I'm about to compare him to. I'm just trying to say as such a stark difference of, imagine you, you're a big fan of David Lynch, aren't you? Yes. Imagine huge. he's got a film going and like, it's going all right. You're into it. You know, other people maybe are a bit poo-pooing it, but you're into it. And then it gets about an hour in and then suddenly cut. Bored now. Give Michael Bay it. Boom. There we go. And then you still have to be like, no, 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 don't worry. It still, it still makes sense. It's like Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks, but with robots. Like you have to try and still suck. That, that's all like, that's all I can think of is like, I, I, you know, I still enjoyed elements of The Fiend, even after bits of, bits of it sort of fell to pieces. But now it's just, it's beyond parody, isn't it? And the fact that the personification of it all, put everything we've talked about, even the Goldberg stuff, put that to one side and just call that the whims of Vince McMahon wrecking what could have been a great storyline. I mean, WrestleMania, fans are back and you go, what, five minutes with Alexa Bliss with some black goo and get beaten by an RKO in a story that's been built for six months? It's, I'm afraid you have to just call it then, lads. It's done, isn't it? You should have called. You, you called it in October 2019. Yeah. <sighs> you want to talk about the law of Lily, or are you good? Very quickly, very very quickly. Um, the law of Lily is a complete little bollocks because <laughs> Alexa Bliss has like played babyface, albeit briefly, but she has. I have seen her. She's played babyface alongside Nikki Cross, and she was having a nice time with a pal. Dressing up as Buzz Lightyear. Do you think, well, 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 do you think Lily would have been happy with that? I think, I do no. know what I think it was. I think, I think Lily was in her ear going, ask E3 about his cock. Go on. <laughs> hey, hey, Alexa, you buy some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> she like coffee. Hey, for her, hey Alexa, don't forget some coffee. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a load of bollocks. I find it hilarious how people are like, Liz Lily's sister Abigail? <laughs> no, Lily's something some dickheads made up like a month ago and has had the absolute audacity to tell you I was with Alexa Bliss from when she was five. The photoshops <laughs> are amazing, aren't they? Just like, there she is. You don't notice that before? <laughs> oh yeah, that's been there. Well, we've got more of that crap to look forward to tonight. Ah, oh, amazing. Let us know your. We could go on about these. I've no sense there's going to be a, a 10 more coming to the website very soon off the back of this because this, this was a lot of fun. But check out the whole article, as I said 10 unbelievable wrestling fan theories up at whatculture.com now. Uh, some great stuff in there alongside the stuff that we've uh, we've already discussed. Number one, I, I, we haven't got time to talk about it, but yes, it's 
It's uh, it's up there. It's definitely up there. There's a reason why that's number one. That's all I'll say. Check it out, whatculture.com, and let us know your thoughts and some of your fan theories that you either subscribe to or, like we just talked about, uh, I think you're a load of bollocks. At whatculturewwe, watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow, follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, the Raw Review tomorrow, which may feature some of the people that we've mentioned on this podcast. Just a just a little tease for you there. But anyway, this has been another top ten debate. My thanks to Michael Sidrick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.